Hey, this is Dan Reeves. I'm the lead pastor of Journey Church in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Welcome to our podcast. Before we get going, we just want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. We believe that you matter, not only to us, but to Jesus. Our hope is that you find something new and life-giving in Him today. Here's today's message. Go ahead and have a seat uh, real quick. It's so good uh, to see you guys. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think half the people were a little disappointed that there wasn't more snow. Half the people were excited. I don't know which side of the fence you're on. Uh, probably the younger you are, the more excited you were about snow. Uh, I think the older we get, we kind of get like, oh, good. I don't have to worry about uh, slipping and falling and getting around in the car and all that kind of stuff. But uh, we're just glad you're here. If uh, you're still at home with us, uh, glad you're there too. And, uh, and we're looking forward to having everybody back next week week uh, here together in one space. Uh, but if you're a guest with us, my name's Dan. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here and uh, would love a chance to get to meet you maybe after the service. I think that there is um, a little Sunday snack out there today. I cannot for the life of me remember what it is, but if you'll go out there after the service, you'll find out. Uh, just a time to hang out and meet some folks and uh, hope you'll uh, endeavor to join us uh, in that as well. Hey, we're going to be in John uh, chapter 15 today. And today the topic is stay where he is. I'm going to walk over here and get my stand so I can put my stuff down uh, just because I'm a creature of habit and I've got to get my stand. But uh, <clears throat> today we are going to Enter, enter into the third part of our series called Abide, and uh, you just learned a new song about it, uh, but it's a little bit of a strange word, abide, right? I mean, uh, I don't know if you use that word uh, in uh, your normal vernacular. I don't know if that's a daily word you use. Maybe it could be your word of the week. You try to stick it in a sentence or something like that, try to find a way to use it. But the word abide is not a typical word that we use today. As a matter of fact, uh, we, we uh, generally look at the New International Version of Scripture. There's a lot of great uh, translations out there. That's the one we usually use on Sundays. Uh, it actually uses a different word from abide. It actually uses the word remain. Uh, and uh, so if you wanted to kind of rename the series or rename the theme of the year, it would just be remain, which is interesting, okay? The, the reason that's interesting for us is where this phrase is placed um, and who's saying it. As a matter of fact, when you look at the word abide, uh, it actually is a favored word from the Apostle John. Uh, over the course of this year in our groups, we're going to be going through the Gospel of John, the letters of John, the revelation of John over the course of this whole year. And about 60 times, uh, John, the apostle, he uses this specific word. It's one of his favorite words. And so if you use something 60 times, uh, it's kind of your pet word, you know? And uh, so today, hopefully what we'll do is we'll unpack a little bit of what the meaning of that word is and hopefully begin to wrap our minds together around how we can uh, actually walk in the presence of God uh, and actually know him better and be transformed into his image. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, just to give it a little bit of context, we're going to lay a little bit of a groundwork and then we got a lot of scripture to cover. So we're going to jump right in. It, it's interesting because if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, what you know is uh, Jesus is in the middle of what we call a farewell discourse. This is when he's getting ready to go to the cross. They've just had the, what's called the Last Supper, pretty famous uh, uh, event. Uh, he's going to the cross, uh, ultimately the resurrection, but nobody in the story yet knows that, okay? Nobody has, uh, uh, nobody has walked that path yet. They haven't seen Jesus at the cross. They have not seen the resurrected Jesus. They don't know what's ahead of them. Much like you don't know what's ahead of you this week, that's where they are in this passage. 
And Jesus, because he does know where he's headed, he's, he's trying to prepare them. He's trying to unpack for them. And so it's, it's really interesting because in the middle of this departure message, he's about to say bye to everybody. He's also telling them to abide. And he's given them some, some really clear uh, things to go off. Remember what he said, uh, well, the first week we studied this was in John chapter 14, verse 12. He t- tells them after he leaves that they will do greater things than he's done. Uh, and we talked about what that was. We talked about how that means to multiply his works, how that means to expand the range of his works. He's not talking about how you're going to be greater than Jesus. He's talking about how you're going to do what he's done and you're going to expand that stuff. You're going to do it where you live. You're going to do it where you go. You're going to proclaim the gospel. You're going to serve and demonstrate the gospel. All these type of things. You're going to do this. And so this is what Jesus says, John 14, 12. Well, today in the center of this passage we're going to look at, he also makes another statement. This is also Jesus. Also Jesus in John 15, 5. He says, you can't do anything apart from me. Okay, so if we want to connect the dots, just kind of in your, in, in your mind today, just connect the dots between these two things. Jesus says you're going to do greater things, but he says you can't do anything apart from me. Okay, so if you can kind of keep that in your head, uh, keep it in your heart for a little bit as we go through this passage, I think it will begin to start to help it to make sense, all right? So what happens in John 15 is a really famous analogy that Jesus uses. It's called the vine. Yeah, in the course of John's, apostle, uh, John's gospel, excuse me, he actually makes uh, about seven I am statements. Uh, he talks about who he is. He identifies himself. And what Jesus does oftentimes in John's telling of the, the story, the narrative of Jesus, is he basically, he doesn't tell you a lot of instructions as much as he does as he tries to display it. He does it in narrative form. He gives you a lot of, uh, a lot of people to attach and to understand and unpack what it could mean to abide. As a matter of fact, this, uh, this conference this weekend, uh, a lot of it stemming off of the pastor at First Baptist uh, Church, Roddy Reeves' book called The Spirituality According to John. And, and one of the points that he makes in there is that what John does is he's not explicitly making statements and commands. He gives you a, a, a lot of analogies. He gives you a lot of stories and he gives you a lot of what we'll call exemplars. Uh, people that are, are in the story to help you to see what it actually looks like to hear the word to Uh, uh, incarnate the word, uh, to abide in the word. And so if you see the stories through that lens, it starts to make sense. But one of the other things he does besides stories is he gives you these I am statements, these, these analogies, if you will. He likens himself to things that hopefully we can wrap our minds around. So if you're in here today and you're wondering, okay, well, I've heard a little bit about Jesus. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I like Jesus. Most people like Jesus even if they don't like the church. Uh, but, you know, you've got kind of some of a loose understanding of Jesus. Well, hopefully today it gives you one more thing to kind of hang your hat on and say, okay, I know that about Jesus, okay? And so Jesus, this is a self-identifying statement. This is an analogy uh, where he describes himself, but he doesn't just describe himself. He's actually going to describe you. And what he's going to do is he's going to describe the relationship and how the relationship with Jesus works. Because that's a big question, right? It's one thing to know who Jesus is. It's a whole other thing to actually have a a faith relationship with Jesus. So what does that look like? Well, let's look at the analogy first. We'll break it down. And what Jesus says in verse 1. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will bear, well, it will even bear, sorry, 
it will be even more fruitful. Do you ever memorize something in one translation and then like have to read it out of another? I've got this, this part like embedded in my head in a different translation. So if I stumble around uh, a little bit today, forgive me, I'm going to do my best. But l- let's just kind of look at this passage for a second, okay? Uh, and let's identify so that we can work through it properly first. Let's identify who everybody is in the analogy, okay? So let me just break it down this way. Uh, go to that next slide and let's just break it down. The true vine is Christ, okay? It's Jesus. And we remember Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's, an, it's a designation. It's a title. But Jesus says, I am the true vine. He also goes on to identify who the gardener is. The gardener is the father, okay? Uh, and, G- and Jesus has been talking a lot about the father. And we're going to hit on this week after next and the relationship specifically between the father and the son and how that is a model for us in our relationship with the father uh, and, and, and the son. But then also he identifies the branch. And in the branch, the, the analogy is about the disciples, and we would put ourselves in that category, okay? Uh, so probably when we're looking at this passage, if you're going to identify with anybody, you're not going to identify with the gardener, you're not going to identify with the vine, you're not even going to identify with the fruit, you're going to see yourselves through the lens of the branch. And then ultimately, the fruit that we're talking about are the works of Christ, okay? The works of Christ. And so we're going to break this whole thing down as we go uh, through this. So the true vine is Christ, the gardener is the father, the branch disciples and us, the fruit is actually the works of Christ that we've been talking about leading up to this force that we're expanding and multiplying, okay? So if you drop back in, let's drop back into the passage, uh, verses one and two. Jesus says about himself, he says, I am the true vine. Now, um, this is a whole little Old Testament kind of journey we don't have time to take. Uh, But he doesn't just say, I am the vine. He says, I am the true vine. And uh, a lot of uh, commentators, a lot of scholars, uh, theologians, uh, they've tried to understand this. They've tried to dig into this. What does it mean that he is the true vine? And and, and many of them think, well, he's not just making some kind of cool agricultural agricultural, um, illustration or analogy. What he's actually talking about is is something that the the Jewish people would have known and understood uh, because the, the nation of Israel was always referred to or frequently referred to as the vine. Uh, in Psalm 80, uh, all through Isaiah, there's spots in Ezekiel uh, where the nation of Israel was called the vine of God. Uh, and there's all this, uh, all this language in the Old Testament about God taking up uh, the vine and transplanting the vine and all this kind of stuff. But most of the time, a Jewish person, if you want to get into the story, when they heard the vine, they probably uh, would have had a mental reference point to their Hebrew scriptures They would have said, okay, well, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, we are the vine. Well, what has Jesus been doing this whole time? He's he's trying to reveal himself as the true vine. He's saying, I am the one. What what Israel couldn't do, what they couldn't, uh, uh, what they couldn't, they weren't obedient, what they couldn't perform, Jesus has done perfectly. So when you look at the vine analogy, there's a a twist and a turn from a Jewish perspective that says, okay, it's not just the nation of Israel. Jesus is coming to introduce something new. Okay, and so when we think about that, we got to think about, well, what is the father doing? Well, the father is the gardener. And what is a gardener's job? A gardener's job is to see that the, that the vine, the branches and the fruit, that they, they, the fruit is good and there's a lot of it. Um, I'm not much of a gardener. I, I grew up 
And uh, uh, around a garden, my dad had a garden, we had a big garden, and that's probably why I'm not a gardener today, okay? Some of y'all love it. Uh, I kind of got my feel uh, because we had to go out and pick okra, and I, I can remember sitting, uh, watching with my granny, okay, in her trailer uh, while she watched her show, or watched her stories. Y'all know what stories are, right? Uh, I grew up with General Hospital, One Life to Live, that whole, all my children, all that kind of stuff. So if you ever think something's weird about me, that's where it all began. Um, but I can remember with a five-gallon bucket full of peas, shelling peas, watching General Hospital, okay? Uh, so, you know, having a garden today, y'all think it's fun? Not fun uh, to me. Uh, it's a little bit traumatic, all right, to think about all the shows and stories that I watch uh, doing that. But so I'm not a professional gardener, but here's what I do know is it's all about a harvest. It's all about a yield. It's about healthy fruit, lots of it, okay? It is what makes the effort, the work matter, okay? And so the father has on his mind healthy vine, healthy branches, healthy fruit, and what do we have? We have greater works. We have multiplying works. We have an expanding range of works. God is about advancing his kingdom and the goodness of his kingdom. He wants good grapes, if you want to say it that way. He wants healthy plants. And so the gardener is tending to his garden because that's what gardeners do. They spend mental energy, time, sweat equity, all the resources for what? For a yield. They want a yield harvest. And so the father is doing this. You got the true, fi true vine who is the connection point. And then if you're going to try to produce fruit, you got to have a branch, right? And so the branch, if you want to think of it this way, the branch is the conduit for the fruit, all right? Um, so the branch is not the point, okay? The branch is essential, but the branch is not the point. It's simply a conduit to produce the yield or the fruit, so what is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about this whole analogy. We've identified who everybody is. Now, but here's what he talks about. He talks the inevitability of something in this passage. And I hope you saw this. He, he, he said that cutting is inevitable in this analogy. Here's what I mean. Cutting is inevitable. There is either a cutting away, okay, or there is a cutting back. A cutting away or cutting back. This is integral and inevitable for this analogy to work. Um, Jesus wants to tell the disciples, think about where they are. Um, the setting is really important, okay? We just came out of Last Supper, some significant things happened. Not only did Jesus um, take the wine and the bread and give them something to remember him by, but there were a lot of interpersonal um, problems at the Last Supper. Anybody had problems at the dinner table? There were some problems at the dinner table with Jesus. In order to set the problem up, I actually want to go back and I want, to, I want to get into that story. I want us to get into the mind of perhaps what Jesus was talking about for a second. In order to do that, we're going to drop back into John chapter 6. So turn back a few pages, scroll a little bit farther back. And you might remember this. This is coming on the heels of Jesus making this big statement in John chapter 6 where he says, hey, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Maybe you've never read that. If you've never read that, you're like intrigued. Like, what does that mean? Yeah, go back and read it. All right. Not only is that weird to us, it was really weird for them. Okay. Jesus says, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And on hearing it, many of his disciples says, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Jesus said hard things. 
Um, so hard as a matter of fact, they were asking the question, I don't know if I can go any farther with you, Jesus. What you're saying to me is a little bit, it's not palatable, okay? It's not realistic. And aware of this, uh, what the disciples were doing, that they were grumbling about this, Jesus says to them, does this offend you? Jesus sometimes offends people, right? Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Go on with the story though. Keep that tucked away because this, the words are gonna be really important to us. Go on to the next slide real quick. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples, what did they do? They turned back and they no longer followed him. There's a turning back and then finish it out this way. You do not want to leave too, do you? He's talking to the disciples. He asked the 12, Simon Peter, okay? This is an introduction to what I'm gonna talk about at the Last Supper. So you're like, why are you reading all this? Keep with me. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the 12, yet one of you is a devil? Uh, and John just wants us to know it wasn't him. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the 12, was later to betray him. Okay, so John, because he tells stories, we see the gospel through the lens of characters. There is a foreshadowing in John chapter 6 of what happens in John chapter 13. What happened in John chapter 13? Well, uh, as they were having the Last Supper, they're passing around the wine, they're passing around the bread, uh, and Jesus identifies that the one that was going to betray them was actually Judas. But it's interesting because when he reveals that, he actually intros that whole dialogue and that whole awkward moment at the supper when Judas gets up and leaves, you know, when he calls Judas out and Judas goes out and leaves, is he says that one of you is going to betray me. And if you can, if you remember the way the story's told, John is, John, the one who's telling the story, is actually leaning over on Jesus and Peter is right next to him. And you may remember what Peter does. He, not, he nudges him and says, hey, ask him who it's gonna be. Who's it going to be? Now, there's two ways to take that. One, either Peter's thinking, well, I wonder which one of you it is, or Peter's wondering, is it going to be me? And we don't quite know, all right? We don't know, but I think if you were in that situation, you'd be like, is he talking about me? Because sometimes we're a little insecure in that. But here's the thing that comes out. Not only does Judas get called out by Jesus and he leaves, but what do we also know happens at the supper? Well, if you read it, if you've never read it, you'll find out not only is Judas the one to betray Jesus, but Jesus also identifies to Peter that he's also going to deny him. And in John telling the story, he, he juxtaposes Judas and Peter through the narrative. And I think it presents to us a little bit about what John is trying to uh, illuminate and Jesus is trying to illuminate in John chapter 15 about some will be cut away and some, I mean, some will be cut away and some will be cut back. Some will be cast aside and leave, and then some will actually be pruned and trimmed for growth, 
all right? And, and this, we know that this became embedded in John's understanding, okay? That this dynamic that Jesus is talking about becomes embedded in John's understanding. How do we know that? Because he, it comes up in other places. One of the places it comes up is in one of his letters, uh, the letter uh, 1 John or 1 John, chapter 2, verse 19. You can jot it down. Remember what he says, there was another group of people um, within the church and John's writing this letter to them and there was a whole group of people that got, things got really hard. Uh, this is a hard teaching or this is a hard situation. They left and the church was reeling. Why are these people leaving? And so John tells the people that were remaining, he said, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained, there's the word, abide, they would have abided with us but their going showed that none of them really belonged to us. And so there was this dynamic, right, uh, in and around Jesus, and Jesus was preparing them for it in John chapter 15. There's going to be some that are cut away. And in John's understanding later, he would have said, well, what that means is, just like Judas, there were some that were never really there to begin with. And, and so what does abiding mean? They didn't remain. Well, in the context of John's gospel, I want you to think about it this way. I want you to think about abiding as following Jesus to the cross. It's, uh, it, it's going all the way with Jesus, okay? Because there were a lot of people following Jesus, um, uh, and as things got harder, and things got a little bit harder to understand and put together, uh, it got harder and harder to follow Jesus. And what we're going to find out in just a second, that very few people followed Jesus all the way to the cross. And what we're going to find out is Peter himself never followed Jesus and truly abided with Jesus until after the resurrection. It's a point that's made in the, in, that uh, Pastor Reeves makes in his book is that you don't see Peter actually following Jesus the way Jesus talks about following Jesus until after the resurrection. Uh, and if you, if you study the story, if you read the story, you'll see that it's, it's really up until John 21 in the Acts when you see Peter actually doing what Jesus is talking about. And so I know that's a kind of a laborious way to look at it, but I want to help us to say this is not just some thing off the shelf that Jesus is saying, hey, just learn what it means to abide in me. No, it had real life context for everybody that heard this. Everybody that was in the room, if you're in that situation and you've got somebody leaving, you've got somebody that's on the fence and nobody's really following Jesus all the way to the cross, well, I say nobody, a handful of people we're going to see in just a second actually did that, but not very many. So who actually followed Jesus to the cross? Like what Jesus was talking about in John 15. Well, look at John chapter 19. This is Jesus on the cross. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom Jesus loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. So from John 15 forward, the people that exemplify what it means to actually abide in Christ was a very small group. There was a very small group of people that actually followed Jesus all the way to the cross. Some people were cut away. Other people were in the process of being cut back, being trimmed, being pruned. So what does it take to be pruned? Well, if pruning is being cut back, okay, if it's inevitable that 
you know, there's going to be some cutting involved. There's going to be some pain involved in this whole pursuit. What's it going to take? Well, it's going to take two things. It's going to take receptivity and it's going to take perseverance. Okay, receptivity and perseverance. What we know about Peter in the story is, as I said, it's not until, I mean, he denies Jesus and it's not until uh, he goes back and he's fishing on the lake, John 21, Jesus appears to him, resurrected Jesus comes to him. And uh, it was the, the, the process of pruning at John 21 was painful, it was painful for Peter to have to face his own failure that he had promised in his own strength he would never deny Jesus but he hadn't learned to abide yet. And so it was painful to face Jesus in his failure. And some of y'all, I'm gonna just say this, some of y'all, that's where you are, okay? You are in a spot where you're you're thinking, okay, well, I I have messed up, I have failed. I I mean, I have broken promises to myself. I've been broken promises to people I love. I've I've broken promises to God. I've I've broken promises to Jesus. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says that if you will be receptive and you will persevere, then he has something on the other side of the pain for you. Matter of fact, Peter, all right, we're, we're kind of seeing the whole landscape here. Peter, in one of his letters, in 1 Peter chapter 1, he talks about this very thing, this receptivity and this perseverance. And this is on the backside of the pruning, right? Backside of the pruning. Later in life, he says, now that you have been, you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of an imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So here's where the connection point uh, happens is that abiding is connected. If you've got Jesus leaving, how are we gonna stay connected? How are we gonna abide? Well, Jesus says the way you abide and the way Peter later has learned through the pruning to abide is through the living and enduring word of God, okay? Which is exactly the point that Jesus is about to make back in John chapter 15, verse three. How do we remain in Christ? We remain in Christ through his word. You are already clean. Because of the word I have spoken to you, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. How did Peter, in 1 Peter, how did he, how did he know uh, at that point? And how was he encouraging and exhorting people to actually continue and to persevere? You have to receive the word and you have to persevere in the word. That means that if, if the foundation comes and the, the remaining comes uh, with Jesus, there's only one way that we do that through the power of the Spirit. We do that through God's Word. That's why around here, that's why we spend so much time talking about God's Word. I, I, I mean, sometimes we, I mean, I know on Sunday we do that. We have groups to do that. Uh, one of the things that we're working on right now for the rest of the year is an abide journal to help you personally say, how do I open scripture? How do I begin to learn scripture myself? That's why we have a conference uh, coming up this weekend. And and so we have to put ourselves in a position, don't we, for God's word to get into us. We have to get ourselves in a position where we can actually hear God's word so that we can incarnate God's word, we can confess God's word, and we can abide 
in God's word. And, and it can't happen apart from that. So there's no, nothing you can do in here. I can't wave a wand over you. I can't pronounce a blessing on you that, that will mean that you're gonna walk in uh, obedience to God's word and the power of God's word. I, I don't have that power. All I can do is open God's word, teach God's word, but you have to receive God's word, as do I, in order to abide in God's word. And it can't happen apart from that. So if, if this is what the apostles did, uh, if this is how it works, uh, it hasn't changed for a little over 2,000 years, okay? This is the way it works, okay? You can't uh, fast forward that. You can only apply yourself to it. So with that in mind, okay, if we remain in Christ through his word, then let's take a step farther because this wasn't just Jesus saying this. Uh, the early church was around this. Uh, watch what he says in verse five. He says, I am the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that's thrown away and it withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burn. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, <clears throat> think about this for a second. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If, and he has that if statement, if, it's a conditional thing. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. Now, the, the early church, the, the glue that held them together was the word of God, right? I mean, it was the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and when you get into um, the living out or the demonstrating of the faith, uh, if you just kind of go and survey the New Testament letters, Paul, Peter, uh, uh, you know, James, they're all talking about the word. They're all talking about what Jesus taught. And their only thing was they were coming and they were telling what Jesus did, all right? Um, they were relaying the message. They were proclaiming the gospel. They were teaching people. So it was a community of learning. People were continually learning uh, in this. Um, a couple of examples for you. One, when Paul wrote to the Colossian church in Colossians chapter two, this is one good example um, of why Jesus and the word are tied together. He says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So the posture was this, is that if you want wisdom, if you want knowledge, then you've got to know Jesus. And that Jesus himself uh, is the true vine, as Jesus himself said, he also revealed this, that there is no life apart from that. And the connection point to the life that he possesses is through the conduit of his word. And what Paul understood is that he wants you to come to complete understanding. I think a lot of the reasons why we don't, uh, we don't read scripture is we think we can't understand it. Well, some of y'all, uh, I'm just gonna kind of use a couple of other, other things. Some of y'all uh, can... Uh, you, you, you play fantasy football and you can keep up with, I don't know, all these stats. <laughs> uh, I used to play fantasy football, I mean, religiously, yeah? And uh, back, I used to play fantasy football. Let me say this to the fantasy football people in the room. If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. But if you do, you do. Uh, I started playing fantasy football when we had to get the Monday newspaper and go through the box scores. Now that's commitment, okay? <laughs> That's commitment. This is before uh, anything was online, anything like that. That's how long I've been doing the whole fancy football thing. And here's what I know. I would spend hours poring over box scores and players and calculating trades. 
And it takes a little bit of effort to learn how to play that and to do it well. Now, some of y'all just kind of throw some people on there and you win games and frustrate everybody, but you know what I'm saying. Like, you, you spend your time doing it. Why? Because you want to succeed at it. It matters to you. Some of you are like that with a hobby. You will carve out, you will read, you will learn, you will put all that stuff in. Some of y'all like that with golf. Some of y'all are like that with youth sports. Some of y'all are, are, are coaching a youth team and you're watching uh, video footage of 11-year-olds playing softball and basketball. Why do you do that? And I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying you have the capacity to do so much. Some of you with your jobs, like you have big boy, big girl jobs, you know? Like you've got people look to you as an expert in your field. It took years to study, to prepare, and you can walk into a room and people want to know what you think about uh, a specific topic or an issue or a situation or a circumstance. Why is that? It's because you spent time preparing. And here's the thing is if all wisdom and knowledge is tied up in Jesus, then we cannot expect what we would expect for fantasy football, youth sports, our jobs, our hobbies, we cannot expect to approach God in any other way. But we can have complete understanding of God. We can grow in our understanding of God. But it takes intentionality, receptivity. It takes perseverance. But here's the thing. You're not going at it alone. Paul, the same guy that wrote that, he wrote to the Corinthian church. Uh, in his first letter, 1 Corinthians, he wrote this. He said, the spirit searches all things even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not to, of the spirit of this world, but is the spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given. Remember what Paul said. Paul, I mean, apparently he thought you could understand this stuff. He taught like you could understand this stuff. Watch what he says next. We'll finish this out. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words, who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct Him, but we have the mind of Christ. I love that little phrase in there, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Uh, I was having a conversation last week out in the foyer at the end of the service, and we, I, uh, I was talking to Adam and Andrea uh, Brown, and we were talking about just the nature of what we're doing. Is that I, a lot of times I think we come to church and we're a little afraid, a, a little afraid of spiritual things, which is very ironic. It's very ironic because everything we talk about are spiritual things. And, and I, would, I would suggest that everything in our life is a spiritual thing. I think your marriage is spiritual. I think raising your kids is spiritual. I think your work is spiritual. Your money is spiritual. I, I think that's just the nature of who we are as humans. We were created that way. Everything has a spiritual undertone to it. Um, but here's the thing is the church is here. We are not here just to give you practical helps to help you get a little bit incrementally better at things. We are to talk about spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. And the receptivity means is that we have to come in with a posture as God's people, as humans. We come in and we say, I need to be taught spiritual realities through spirit-taught words. And so what do we do? We open scripture together. 
we expect scripture to, be, to speak to us through the spirit. And we know that as we come to that, we have been given by God the very mind of Christ so that we can understand the things of God. And the roles in the church, the people that, uh, um, Paul says this in Ephesians 4, he says the people that are pastors, teachers, the people that are evangelists, I mean, all the, all the, the things that God gives people to do, what is for that? So that the, the people of God, men and women of God, can be thoroughly equipped for every good work, that we may attain the fullness of the measure of Christ himself, that we could be transformed into the image of Christ. That's what this whole thing's about, okay? This is not about music styles. This is not about methodologies. At the end of the day, if you want to boil it all down, what is it about? It's about spiritual realities and spirit-taught words. And this is what John 15 is about. This is what it means to abide in Christ. This is what it means to actually be pruned on, to be cut, to have some of your ideas challenged, some of your life choices challenged, some of your understandings challenged so that you can be transformed into the person that God designed you to be. And what happens with pruning doesn't just happen with individuals. As a matter of fact, John 15, you could make an argument that this is a communal pruning that's happening with the disciples. Sure, it's individual, but it also happens corporately. There's trimming, there's pruning. Why? Because we have to grow. We have to be shaped and you cannot get away from cutting. It is inevitable. You will either be cut away because it's not real or you will be cut back. You'll be trimmed so that you can be fruitful. Pruning makes the vine, uh, the branch more healthy. It, it allows it not to turn in on itself. Sometimes, you know what, if you've ever seen something that needs to be pruned, it kind of gets so mangled in there it, it, it turns in on itself and it, and it actually kind of chokes itself out. Churches that do that, they choke themselves out. Um, and so what happens, God comes in and he prunes it so that you can grow toward the light. You can go out and then you can be healthy. The, the bush can be healthy. And as the bush is healthy, it produces more and more fruit. What are the fr what's the fruit? Well, the fruit is an expansion of the range of God's works, a multiplication of his works. So here's the deal. Here's God's will for you in this. God's will for me. God's will is that you bear much fruit, not just a little bit of fruit, but much fruit. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples as the father has loved me. So I've loved you now remain in my love. And if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing, okay? Um, made me think like, uh, I, don't, I don't really go to the fair. Uh, do they still have the thing at the fair where they like, where you can come and bring like produce that you've grown? Do they still do that at the fair? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like the contest, like who has the biggest pumpkin or something like that? I don't know. Or the nicest flower. Like I, I can think of like Andy Griffith's show or something like that. It's a little nostalgic where they go to the fair and like somebody gets a ribbon for like, you know, the best pumpkin or watermelon or, you know, the jar of pickles or, or something like that. Um, that's what I think of like this is God wants to show off through you, right? He wants to show off through you. He, he, he wants to use your little bitty life in Jonesboro, Arkansas, or wherever you live, or if you're online, wherever you live, 
He wants to use your little life for something really big. He wants to show off his goodness in you. He wants to show off his love in you. He wants to show off your, his faithfulness in you. All those things about who he is, his holiness, he wants to show it off through you. And he wants you to be as healthy as you possibly can be because healthy things bear much fruit. And so I think that's a, that's a word for us on the perseverance side is because some of us, we've kind of become complacent. We're like, hey, we're not really that bad. We're better than we used to be. We're going to pattern. Life's hard. Let me just kind of cruise. I think God has in store for every single person here much more fruit. He wants to show off through you. And as he does that, he also wants you to know that it's not just for his joy, it's actually for your joy. God is committed to your joy. Here's what Jesus himself says. God's will is that your joy may be complete. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and Jesus got pure joy that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay one's life down for one's friend. He says, I am committed to your joy. Um, how does it feel to think that God is committed to your joy? Because I, I think there's, there's this common thought that just kind of creeps into us that God is not committed to our joy, that God is committed to police us. God is committed to reprimand us. God is committed to limit us. But what is God there to do? God is there to say, listen, the joy that, er, that is at the heart, the vacuum that's in the middle of everybody's life. Uh, I, I don't know everybody in here really well, but I can guarantee you, you want to be joyful. And you might kind of dumb it down a little bit and say, I just want to be happy. But everybody's pursuing that. Everybody wants that. But guess what? As much as you want that, Jesus is committed to that. Jesus is more committed to your joy than you are. He wants your joy to be complete. And he just knows that if you give yourself to anything else except a pursuit of him, who he is, he is the key that unlocks the universe for you, both internally and externally. Everything that's going on inside of you, everything that's going on outside of you, it's all about knowing Jesus and walking through some really dark times, which they were about to walk through, abiding in his words, holding on to his words, his word becoming a reality to you in dark times, his word becoming a reality and in a, in a, in a way to temper you when things are going really well, to help you to understand the giver of all good things and to pass that joy on to the people around you. See, he is committed to our joy. This is why we call it good news, not just okay news or bad news. We've got to recapture as God's people the joy of knowing God is committed to our joy and he's given us a way to find it. Matter of fact, he goes on and we'll finish it up. We're running out of time, but he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you my servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you my friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. There's a whole point in there that I didn't have time to make about God calling, Jesus calling us his friends, not just his servants. He's not just our help. Uh, we're not just his hired hands that he actually brings us in and has a different kind of relationship with us. But in order to finish it out, let's go on to the last two verses. 
And his will is that you bear fruit, not only that you bear much fruit, but fruit that actually lasts. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Um, uh, Aaron and I were talking this week and I don't remember what even brought it up. We were talking about, oh, I know what it was. We're talking about we had fruit out here for, there's fruit out here for the snack. I just remembered. Okay. Um, and we were talking about bananas and we were talking about uh, a story about uh, uh, his, uh, I think it was his grandfather-in-law, I believe, if I remember right, about his, uh, you know, they were buying bananas and he had this statement, like he said, I don't buy green bananas anymore. He was getting old in age, right? And the reason for that is like, you don't know how much time you have, you know, and as the older you get, you're like, I buy ripe bananas because I'm not going to wait for them to ripen once I get them home, that kind of thing. But here's the thing, like fruit doesn't last, right? We know it. We know that. Uh, a lot of times we buy fruit and we, you know, maybe we, sometimes we eat all of it. Sometimes we don't make it to all of it, but sometimes we have to throw fruit out because it doesn't last, you know? Um, but here's the, here's the thing. Here's the thing is life is like that. There is so much that we give ourselves to that doesn't last. And some of that's just a necessity to get through life. And, and there's nothing wrong with that on the surface level, except for the fact that some of us get confused sometimes. And we think that that's all there is. And the way that you take average normal things that don't last and turn them into things that do last, things like jobs and careers, things like friendships, things like um, where you live, the house that you have, the money that you have, you can turn anything that doesn't last into something that lasts forever. And isn't that a good exchange? How do you do that? You abide in Jesus and you leverage every temporal thing for an eternal purpose. You can take the very money that you have, the very time that you have, the resources and the relationships and the position that you have, and they can just be temporal things. And that's all that they are. Or you can turn a temporal thing, you can turn it over, and it can become an eternal thing. And it's all about how you approach it. It's not necessarily about stopping everything you're doing. It's living your life with gospel intentionality in every facet that you have. And abiding in Jesus' words and in his love and extending, expanding and multiplying his works in every realm with everything that you have. And that is exciting. That's joyful. That's not monotonous. It's powerful. And so as we finish up today, my hope is as we embark on this year that we'll go deeper, deeper and deeper into what it means to abide with Jesus. I'm gonna ask if you'd pray with me. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you love us that you sent Jesus. We thank you that by knowing Jesus, uh, we, under, we have the mystery uh, of all the ages right there with us that has come and says that uh, he wants to be with us. And so today, Lord, we ask that you would, uh, Lord, you would work through uh, the things, the obstacles that we have some of them are the things that you need to cut away. Some of them is our false conceptions. Some of it's our hurt. Some of it's just uh, our attitudes, God. Um, 
whatever it is, God, we want to depend on you. We want to have that type of relationship with you where there's not a moment of the day where there's not a minute of the day where we're outside of your presence, where we don't acknowledge and live with the power of your spirit. And so, Lord, I pray that you give us a receptivity, each one of us, an intentionality to, to hear you and to see you through your word, that you would help us to embrace your spirit that indwells us. Um, you'd help us to walk with, through some things that could be temporal, and you help us to turn them over and help them become eternal uh, in your hand. Um, uh, there's people I would, I would sense and, and would believe that are, are having decisions in front of them uh, this week, really important ones. And I pray, Lord, that you would be present with them and speak to them and give them wisdom. There's people in here that are hurting today. And I know that you're no, you can't be any closer to somebody than when you're pruning them. And so I pray, God, that they would sense your closeness to them right now. Um, I pray, God, for the, per the person that's in here that's confused about faith. They don't know what to think about you. They don't know what to think about the church because there's just so many opinions and so much hurt going on and so much information out there. I pray, Lord, that you would just pierce through all the cloud and, Lord, that you would come front and center to them and they would know you um, and all that you are. Lord, make us a church that is willing to be receptive and a church that's willing to persevere through the pruning. Lord, we want to glorify you. And so finally, God, the last thing is uh, we want to pray for those in here that are wrestling uh, with maybe the decision to make, you know, kind of come to you and say, Lord, I want to depend on you with my life. I pray that right now where, that they, are, where they are, whether it's in the room or online, that you give them the confidence just to cry out to you um, for salvation, for faith, to believe, and you'd help them to take the next step in the process of abiding with you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, let's stand to our feet as we finish up, and let's, uh, let's drill that home with a song that we learned uh, this morning uh, as we return back to it before we head out.